0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Dorothy L. Sayers' Lord Peter Wimsey in Whose Body, which is a tale that first introduced Lord Peter to the world and sees him investigating the case of a corpse in a Battersea bathtub and a vanished oil millionaire. This will be a five-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this nostalgic mystery radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Lord Peter Wimsey. starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with Patricia Routledge as the Dowager Duchess and Bernard Archer as Sir Julian Freak. (laughs) Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers, adapted by Chris Miller in five episodes. Episode four, Shell Shock. Lord Peter Whimsey and his friend Inspector Parker of Scotland Yard are investigating together the disappearance of financier Sir Reuben Levy and the inexplicable arrival in a Battersea bathroom of a corpse which bears certain similarities to the missing man. The day after the inquest on the mysterious body, Parker is reviewing to Lord Peter recent progress in his search for Reuben Levy, the missing financier. You remember, Peter...
2: We thought that one possible explanation of Sir Reuben's being seen in Battersea that night he disappeared... Mm -hmm. ...was that he might simply have been going round to St Luke's Hospital to pay a call on his old friend, Sir Julian Freak. Well, we were right. He was.
3: Was he, by Mm Joan? How do you know that, Charles?
2: Well, I met Sir Julian yesterday afternoon after the inquest. And he uh, confided in me. Your mother introduced us, and when she told him I was investigating the Levy case... He asked me to walk back to the hospital with him strangely enough though to begin with he talked of nothing except his work
4: it's a fatal thing for a theorist mr parker in neurology as in anything else to let the practical work get behind her mm-hmm. dissection is the basis of all good theory and all correct diagnosis
2: but uh, do you get much time for your own work sir julian with the Harley Street practice and your duties at the hospital?
4: Alas, no, Mr Parker, not nearly as much as I would like, which of course is why I live next door to Saint Luke's. And very often the only time I have for research is at night. But doubtless your own work has to be carried out under even more irksome conditions. <laughs> yes, sometimes, Sir Julian. But then, you see, the conditions are, so to speak, part of the job. Yes, quite so, quite so. You mean that the burglar, for example, doesn't demonstrate his methods in the light of day or (laughs) plant the perfect footmark in the middle of a damp patch of sand for you to analyse?
2: (laughs) Not as a rule, no. Uh, But I've no doubt that many of your diseases work quite as insidiously as any burglar.
4: Oh, they do. And it's my pride, as it is yours, to track them down for the good of society. Now, the neuroses, for instance, are particularly clever criminals. And just as you may observe a theft or a murder and look for footsteps, so I observe a fit of hysterics or an outburst of piety and hunt for the little mechanical irritation which has produced it. You
2: regard such things as uh, entirely physical,
4: Sir Julian? And certainly. When you break up the dead body, or for preference the living body with a scalpel, you always find the footmarks. A little trail of ruin, disorder, left by madness or disease or shell shock or any other similar pest. Now, you should read my latest book, Physiological Basis of the Conscience, Mr. Parker. It would amuse you.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll do that, Sir Julian. But uh, tell me, you, you wouldn't, I presume, ascribe a physiological basis to the disappearance of Sir Reuben Levy?
4: I hesitate to speculate on the subject, Mr. Parker. but I fear it's not impossible. Really? Yes. Uh, I have no right to ask, of course, but may I inquire what is your opinion? Lady Levy, I know, thinks that her husband may be detained in the hands of some financial rival. Uh, do you consider that possible? I consider it very likely, Sir Julian. And has she asked you to go on with the inquiry? Certainly. Hmm. I had no idea until that ridiculous police officer mentioned it at the inquest, Mr. Parker, that there was any idea of connecting Sir Reuben's disappearance with the body that appeared in Mr. Thipp's bathroom. The suggestion was perfectly monstrous. Yes, Inspector Sugg all over, I'm afraid, Sir oh, Julian. If I'd had any idea of what was in his mind, I could have disabused him and spared Lady Levy much pain. You may know, Mr. Parker, that I'm an old, though I shouldn't call myself an intimate, friend of the Levys. I knew Lady Levy when she was a young girl, and, well, we've remained good friends. But I regret she's been subjected to so much distress by your colleague.
2: Yes, well, believe me, Sir Julian, I sympathise very much with you and with Lady Levy. I did all I could to disabuse Inspector Sugg of this notion, but unhappily the coincidence of Sir Reuben's being seen that evening in the Battersea Park Road. Yes,
4: uh, that is, in fact, what I wish to talk to you about, Mr Parker. Hmm? Yes, I hardly know. Uh, I, I hardly like... I it. shall be very grateful for any help you can give me, Sir Julian. But well, I'm afraid it's more in the nature of a hindrance. It's a case of destroying a clue for you, you see. And in addition, a breach of professional confidence on my side. But since accidentally a certain amount has come out, perhaps the whole had better do so. Now, Sir Reuben Levy's visit on Monday night was to me, Mr Parker. Was it? Yes. He found cause for certain grave suspicions concerning his health... and he came to me in preference to his own medical man... as he was particularly anxious that the matter should be kept from his wife. Did he make an appointment with you, Sir Julian? An appointment? Oh, no, no. He turned up suddenly in the evening after dinner. I wasn't expecting him. I took him upstairs and examined him... and he left me somewhere about ten o'clock, I should think. I didn't at first mention the matter... as it was so very much Sir Reuben's wish to keep his visit to me secret... And there was no question of accident in the street or anything of that kind since he reached home safely at midnight. Uh, quite so, Sir Julian. It would have been, and is, a breach of confidence, Mr Parker. And I only tell you now because I'd rather do so in private than have you ferreting round my house and questioning my servant. You, you will excuse my frankness.
2: Certainly. No, I hold no brief for the pleasantness of my profession, Sir Julian. But... Uh, May I ask you one further thing? What happened, the result of your examination of Sir Reuben?
4: Well, in strict confidence, Mr. Parker... Yes, well, of course. In strict confidence, I will tell you that I saw grave grounds for suspicion, but as yet no absolute certainty of mischief.
2: Thank you, Sir Julian. Thank you very much indeed.
4: Hmm. So Freak
3: thinks old Levy did a bunk because he was worried about his health, as he Charles? Oh, seems like it
2: but of course he doesn't know that the old boy didn't in fact reach home safely at midnight or
3: indeed at all Mm, no apart from ourselves only leave his rubber glove kidnapper knows that i suppose freak has to see it all in physiological terms though the fellow's got a bee in his bonnet about mind and matter that's what i thought
2: i say whimsy i'm just remembered I was talking this morning to some of Sir Reuben's business acquaintances and they mentioned a little boom in Peruvian oil stocks that came on just before he disappeared and they were wondering if he was involved. Mm, yes, I heard about that. Well, I asked round about it. I it out the brokers. I found a lot of mystery and concealment, as one always does, you know, when somebody's been rigging the market. Mm-hmm. And I did, in fact, find that one man was at the back of it all, but it wasn't Levy. Uh, who was it? Well, oddly enough, it was Freak. Freak? He was behind the whole thing, yes. He bought a lot of shares last week in a secret kind of way, a few of them in his own name, then quietly sold out on Tuesday at a small profit. A few hundreds is not worth going to all that trouble about, you wouldn't think. I shouldn't have thought he ever went in for that kind of gamble. He doesn't, as a
3: rule. That's the funny part of it. Well, you never know. People do these things just to prove to themselves they could make a fortune that way if they liked. Well. However, we mustn't allow ourselves to be distracted by side issues, Charles. Yeah. What we must concentrate on is the imposter. The fellow who dressed himself in Levy's clothes, slept in Levy's bed, and left smudged prints on Levy's very tooth glass. Yes, I suppose you're right. Well, of course I am. He is the fellow we're after, Charles. The man with the rubber gloves and the rubber boots. <laughs> Bunter, have you seen Mr. Parker out? Yes, my lord.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: I was just coming in to attend to the fire. Oh, you can leave that old I do go to bed. It's nearly midnight. I shall only sit up a short while. Very good, my lord. But if your lordship would permit of me removing the cups and
3: glasses... Mm-hmm. So... Yes, carry on, Thank on, you, my lord. You know, I feel extraordinarily wakeful and alert tonight, Bunter. Like some of those beastly nights we used to
6: have near Cordray in 18. Now, don't you go worrying yourself about that, my lord.
3: My brain feels like a hive of bees stirred up with a stick. Somewhere, somewhere I have got the key to these two things, Bunter. My lord? the body in Thipps' bath and the disappearance of Sir Reuben. I know I've got it. I mean, I can't remember what it is. Somebody said it. Perhaps I said it. I can't remember where, but I know I have got it. What did Mother say about Levy? Yeah, now, wait now wait a moment. Yes, Mother said something. It's coming back. I remember her talking about Sir Reuben Levy once. She knew Lady Levy when she was a gal. Christine Ford she was then, of course. Now, what did Mother say?
5: Yes, dear, I remember so well the dreadful trouble there was about Christine marrying a Jew. That was before Sir Reuben had made all his money, of course, in that oil business out in America, and he hadn't any means at all, and the Fords didn't like his religion. Of course, we're all Jews nowadays, and they wouldn't have minded so much if he'd pretended to be something else. Still, there it was... It was obviously so much better for the gal to marry a man she was really fond of. And there's no denying, they have been a model couple. So devoted to each other, dear. So devoted to each
3: other. Not quite, not quite. No, it was something else. Something... Oh! I almost had it then, but it's gone.
6: Yes, it's gone now. If you'll excuse my saying so, my lord, I really think you should go to bed. The room is becoming cold, my lord, and with respect, your lordship is beginning to look a little feverish. No, I'm all right, Bunter. So, uh, another log on the fire, if you must.
3: Thank you, my lord. I wonder. You know, I wonder if that is true about Levy being ill. I'd like to talk to Freak. Mother knows him, of course, but... Bunter? My lord? But uh, is Sir Julian Freak a member of either of my clubs?
6: I could consult who's who, my lord, if your lordship will excuse me. Franklin, Fraser, Fredericks, Freitas. Freak! Clubs. White's, Oxford and Cambridge, Alpine, my lord. No, my lord. No? Mm. Oh, well, it don't matter. But I think I did meet the fellow once. Anyway,
3: you go off to bed now, Bunter. Don't worry about me. I'll dip into one of these new books from the
6: Times Book Club for a few minutes. Very good, my lord. Good night, then, Bunter. Good night, my lord. Now, then.
3: Physiological Bases of the Conscience by Sir Julian Freak. Hmm. The Knowledge of Good and Evil is an observed phenomenon attendant upon a certain condition of the brain cells which is removable. Hmm. Mind is matter. Matter is mind again, eh? Conscience in man may, in fact...
4: Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. Hmm may, in in fact, fact, be compared to the sting of a honeybee, which so far from conducing to the welfare of its possessor cannot function even in a single instance without occasioning its death. The survival value in each case is thus purely social, and if humanity ever passes from its present phase of social development into that of a higher individualism, we may suppose that this interesting mental phenomenon may gradually become atrophied and cease to appear... Cease to appear.
3: Cease to appear. Ah, sure, that's an ideal doctrine for a criminal, ain't it? A man who believes that
4: would never think twice about... Oh, no! Oh, God, no! The knowledge of good and evil is removable... Removable. Oh, Removable. Enough, it was Freak. He was behind the whole thing. I knew Lady Levy when she was a young girl, and, well, we've remained good friends. It
5: was obviously so much better for the girl to marry a man she was rarely fond of.
4: He's the fellow we're after, Charles. The man with rubber gloves and rubber boots. Very often, the only time I have for research is at night. Clubs, Whites, Oxford and Cambridge, Alpine, my lord. You
2: and I, Whimsy, know that the body was brought across the
5: room. A man she was really... Well, we've
4: remained good
6: friends.
5: The family wanted her to marry Julian Freak, you know, dear. Not that there was ever a real engagement. Only a sort of understanding with her father. I believe young Freak was really devoted to her, but she fell in love with this Mr. Levy. No! Oh!
4: It's impossible. The knowledge of good and evil is a phenomenon of the brain and is removable. 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 No.
6: No. Sergeant. Sergeant Bunter. Bunter, sergeant. Yes, my lord. Listen. Listen. It's all right, my lord. You get to bed quick and I'll fetch you a drop of morphine. You're shivering. You've been sitting up too late. Listen. Listen, Sergeant, over there, listen. Can you hear the guns? It's the Bosch. Oh, dear. No, no, it's all right, Major. Now, don't you worry. Look, sh-
3: Listen. Listen, 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 not tap. Tap, tap. Oh, my God, they're mining us.
6: There it is again. Listen. Oh, God, can't hear anything for the noise of those damn guns! It's all right, Major, it's all right. That's our own sappers at work in the communication trench. Don't you fret about that, sir.
3: Our own sappers?
6: The guy you're sure of that? Certain of it, sir. Now, you just come and lay down a bit, sir. They've come to take over this section. You're sure it's safe to leave it? Safe as houses, sir. Come along, now. Come along, sir. On your bed now, sir. Oh. That's the oh. way, sir. Now.
1: Oh. Oh.
6: oh, dear, dear.
3: Oh.
6: I thought we'd seen the last of these attacks. Overdoing oh. himself, he has. Oh. <laughs> Bloody little fool. Oh. Mr. Parker, your grace.
5: Thank you, Bunter. Good Good morning, Mr. Parker.
2: Good morning, Your Grace. Good morning, Whimsy. Sorry you've been uh, having a bad turn, old man. You're looking a bit seedy.
5: Morning, Charles. Mr. Parker. I'm going to take this silly boy down to Denver for the weekend. He's been waking poor Bunter up in the middle of the night with scares about Germans. As if that wasn't all over years ago. And he hasn't had an attack for ages, but there... But he was so dreadfully bad in 1918, you know, and I suppose we can't expect to forget all about a great war in a year or two. Still, I think a little peace and quiet at Denver won't do him any harm.
3: Charles, I am going away for a couple of days because what has to be done for the moment can be much better done by you than me. Now, this is a description of the Battersea corpse as he was before he was shaved and cleaned up. I want you to take it to Scotland Yard immediately and get it sent out to all the workhouses, infirmaries, police stations, YMCA's and so on, so on, so on in London. I want to know whether any man answering to this description has been taken in anywhere, alive or dead, during the last fortnight. See Sir Andrew Mackenzie personally and get the paper sent out by his authority. Tell him you have solved the problem of the Levy murder... And the Battersea Mystery. Murder? And ask him to have men in readiness with a warrant to arrest a very dangerous and important criminal at any moment on your information. When the replies to this paper come in, search for any mention of St. Luke's Hospital or of any person connected with St. Luke's Hospital and send for me at once. Yes, but Peter... Look, meanwhile, Charles, scrape up acquaintance, I don't care how, with one of the students at St. Luke's. I shall come up to town as soon as I hear from you and I shall expect to find... A nice, ingenuous sawbones here to meet me. Yes, I will. But, Peter, are you saying that
2: you've got to the bottom of this thing? Yes. But I may be wrong.
3: You won't tell me? Do you know, honestly, I'd rather not. I say I may be wrong, and I'd feel as if I'd libelled the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, tell me at
2: least, is it, is it one mystery or is it two? One. You talk to the Levy murder... Levi is dead,
5: yes. Oh God, Peter! Is that your fever coming on again? Now, whatever you two are chattering about, you'd better stop it at once if it excites you. Besides, it's time to be off.
3: You're right, mother. Well, goodbye, Charles. I'll see you in a day or two. Oh, goodbye, Peter. Get better, old
6: man. My lord. Ah, Bunter. Yeah, we're ready. Very good, my lord. Now, you understand what I want you to do in my absence, don't you? Perfectly, thank you, my lord. Excellent. Then I shall be hearing from you, Bunter. Yes, my lord. I shall write as soon as possible. 110A Piccadilly W1. My lord, I write as your lordship directed to inform you of the result of my investigations. I experienced no difficulty in becoming acquainted with Sir Julian Freak's manservant, a man called John Cummings. He belongs to the same club as the Honourable Frederick Arbuthnot's man, who is a friend of mine, and yesterday evening, after the three of us had dined together, I invited Cummings to drinks and a cigar in the flat. Your Lordship will excuse me doing this, knowing that it is not my habit, but it has always been my experience that the best way to gain a man's confidence is to let him suppose that one takes advantage of one's employer. I gave him the best old port, having heard you and Mr Arbuthnot talk over it, and its effects were quite equal to my expectations as regards the principal matter in hand, though I very much regret to state that the man had so little understanding of what was offered to him that he smoked a cigar with it. One of your lordship's villery villars, Your lordship will, I know, sympathise with my feelings. Over dinner, I'd set myself to discover Cummings' tastes and found them to run in the direction of the music hall stage. During the first glass, therefore, I drew him out in this direction, your lordship, having very kindly given me opportunities of seeing every performance in London, and I may say that his views on women and the stage were such as I should have expected from a man who would smoke with your lordship's port. With the second glass, I introduced the subject of your lordship's inquiries. In order to save time, I will write our conversation in the form of a dialogue as nearly as as possible as it actually took place.
7: You seem to get many opportunities of seeing a bit of life, Mr Bunter.
6: One can always make opportunities
7: if one knows how, Mr Cummings. Ah, it's very easy for you to talk, Mr Bunter, with a governor who often goes out and not being married yourself neither. But what's a man to do with a nagging fool of a wife and a blasted scientific doctor for an employer that sits up all night cutting up dead bodies and experimenting with frogs? All night? Does he keep you up late, you mean? Uh, Not him. Far from it. House locked up and household to bed at half past ten. That's his little rule. But when I go to bed, I like to go to sleep. What does Sir Julian do then? Walk about the house? Doesn't he? All night. And in and out of the private door to the hospital. Our bedroom's right at the top, but Lord, what's that?
6: (laughs) You bang the door so you can hear him all over the house. Many's the time I've had to speak to Lord Peter about that, Mr Cummings. And talking all night. And baths? Baths? (laughs) (laughs) When do you think he chose to have a bath
7: last Monday night? Three. Three o'clock in the morning we was waked up. I'll give you my word, Mr Bunter. Is Sir Julian habitually as late as that? Well, no, I will
6: say, not as a general rule. Hmm. And he did apologise in the morning. Well, one can put up with a great deal from a gentleman that has the manners to apologise, Mr. Cummings. Mm. And of course, sometimes they can't help themselves. A visitor will come in unexpectedly, keep them late, perhaps. Mm, that's true enough, Mr. Bunter. Yes.
7: Now I come to think of it, there was a gentleman came in on Monday evening. Not that he came late, but he stayed about an hour and may have put Sir Julian behindhand.
6: Very likely. Let me give you some more port, Mr Cummings, or a little of Lord Peter's old brandy. Uh, (coughs) A little of the brandy, thank you, Mr Bunter. Yes, I agree with you, Mr Cummings. There's nothing more wearisome than sitting up to see visitors out. As you had to do on
7: Monday? Mm? Oh, no. Oh, no, Mr Bunter, no, I I didn't see that one out. No, Sir Julian let him out himself at ten o'clock or thereabouts. Does Sir Julian always do that? Well, uh, that depends. If he sees visitors downstairs, he lets them out himself. If he sees them upstairs in the library, he rings for me. This was a downstairs visitor, then? Oh, yes. Sir Julian opened the door to him, I remember. He happened to be working in the hall. Though, now I come to think of it, he went up to the library afterwards. Still, anyway, we heard him go at ten, or it may have been a bit before. He'd only stayed about three quarters of an hour. However... As I was saying, there was Sir Julian banging in and out of that private door all night and a bath at three in the morning. It beats me. If I had all his money, curse me if I'd go poking about with dead men in the middle of the night. (laughs) I'd find something better to do with my time. Eh, Mr Bunter? (laughs) Eh? Eh?
6: (laughs) I need not repeat any more of his conversation as it did not concern the events of Monday night. I should wish to add, however, as a tribute to the great merits of your Lordship's cellar, that although I was obliged to drink a somewhat large quantity, both of the Coburn 68 and the 1800 Napoleon, I feel no headache or other ill effects this morning. Trusting that your Lordship is deriving real benefit from the country air, I remain, with respectful duty to all the family, obediently your Mervyn Bunter.
3: (laughs) obliged to drink a somewhat large quantity indeed (laughs) hello mother
5: hello dear a telegram's just arrived for you I thought I'd bring it in
3: ah thank you ah it's from Charles description recognised Chelsea workhouse unknown vagrant injured street accident Wednesday week died workhouse Monday Delivered St. Luke's Hospital same evening by order of Freak. Much puzzled, Charles. Oh, I say. Oh, absolutely top-hole. Well, I'm glad I've puzzled old Parker Bird. Gives me confidence in myself. Makes me feel like Sherlock Holmes. dash it, all those. That's a beastly
5: business. Mother? Yes, dear? You know Lady Levy, don't you? I used to know her quite well when she was Christine Ford. Why, dear?
3: Because there's a terrible piece of news to be broken to her about her husband. But
5: is... Is he... Is he dead, dear?
3: Very, I'm afraid.
5: Oh. oh, poor Christine.
3: Do you have to go and identify, Mother, and... Yes, dear. Well, it will be under rather revolting circumstances. I'll come with you, dear.
1: In that episode of Whose Body, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael. Bunter, Peter Jones. The Dowager Duchess of Denver, Patricia Routledge. Sir Julian Freak, Bernard Archard, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe. Cummings, Peter Tuddenham. Shell Shock was adapted by Chris Miller from the book Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers. The program was produced by Simon Brett. <laughs>